Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Mark chapter 9, let me begin reading at verse number 2 and read through verse number 13. This is the account of the transfiguration of Christ. Mark chapter 9, verse number 2. It says, And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into an high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that covered them, that overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man any more, save Jesus only with himself. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elias must first come? And he answered and told them, Elias verily cometh first and restoreth all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things? and be set at naught. But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. I'm looking at this, and why was Jesus transfigured? Why did he take these three disciples, not all twelve, to this mountain? Why then also did Elias and Moses appear? So, with that question in mind, let me give you three purposes of the transfiguration. The general purpose of the transfiguration was to reveal heaven's glory. So we could say it this way, three purposes for the glory of God. What we want is to see the glory of the Lord. What is the purpose of the glory of the Lord? Three purposes for the transfiguration or three purposes for the glory of the Lord. The first one, the first purpose or reason for the transfiguration is to strengthen Christ. To strengthen Christ. In this time frame, the Lord is coming up, of course, closer and closer to the Passion Week, to his crucifixion. He knows about this. 
I, of course, I marvel at the connection between the deity of Christ and the manhood of Christ. In his humanity, I think it would be safe to say he would not have known all these things, but in his deity he did. And so it's a theological mystery, uh, the union of the divine with the human. But humanly speaking, he is going to become weak. We see this in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prays and great drops of blood and the strain and the stress of approaching the cross. So the part of the reason for the transfiguration is to strengthen the Lord Jesus Christ. He needed this strength. He was about to face the cross and he the full weight of all that was involved in dying on the cross, dying for the sins of the whole world. And as Peter says, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. All that pressure was coming up on him. You know how it is when you know something is about to happen. Maybe it was a test in college, or maybe it was a a physical surgery. You knew it was coming, you know, a couple days away, and you get anxious about that. Well, the Lord knew about his upcoming crucifixion and the bearing of the sins of the whole world, and so all of that weighing on him, and so he needed that. I want to take you to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 33. I think Moses also was looking for some strength from the Lord. Let's read verse 12 and following. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. Now, Moses isn't using the word strength, so he's not specifically praying for strength, praying for grace, but I think we can relate that to strength. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. And that's, of course, a call for help there. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the uh, people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. The glory of the Lord would, in effect, give Moses the strength that he needed. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand by stand upon a rock, And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand, while I pass by. 
and I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. So in effect, God showed Moses at least a little part of his glory, and the glory of the Lord strengthened Moses to go and encouraged him that he was indeed finding the grace of the Lord. So the Lord Jesus is in need of this grace as well, and the, the strengthening that comes from him. When he, there's two things that happen here. The Lord is transfigured, one, the first thing, and then he's visited by Moses and Elias. Two things that happened there. His raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, and then there appeared unto him Elias and Moses, and they were talking with him, with Jesus. Now Luke doesn't, or Mark does not tell us what the discussion was about. We'll have to go elsewhere to find that. But there's, I think, significance to Moses and Elijah appearing with the Lord there. Moses would, of course, be the great lawgiver. Elijah would be representative of the prophets. I think, I'm not sure if we have a Bible verse for this, but I think the Jews consider Elijah as one of, or at least uh, maybe the greatest, or at least one of the greatest prophets. So Moses would represent the law, and Elijah representing the prophets. And so Jesus came to fulfill the law, and basically also to fulfill the prophets. He was, of course, the greatest of of the uh, prophets, and the Lord would find, or maybe I should say it this way, the student of prophecy would find that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that prophecy. So I think that's significant that Moses and Elijah are the two that appear with the Lord. Of course, Peter and James and John are appearing here as well. Might ask the question as well, why Peter, James, and John? Why not some of the other apostles? Well, we don't know the answer to that. The Bible doesn't tell us, but we can suggest that these three men became the leaders. They didn't know it, of course. But as we follow through the New Testament, we discover they became leaders in the New Testament church. And so my thought is that the Lord was preparing them as well. And that'll be my next point. Not only was the Lord strengthened, but the disciples were helped. But Peter was the leader of the early church, the one who was to open the door of the gospel to both Jew and Gentile. Following Pentecost, he's the one, of course, who preaches that mighty message on the day of Pentecost. James was the head of the first church, probably the pastor of the church. He's referenced there in Acts chapter 15, verse 13, as one of the leaders of that New Testament church. John, of course, becomes the writer of the Gospel of John, as well as his three epistles, and the book of Revelation. And so John is given uh, some special revelation regarding the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is, of course, to write that book of Revelation to close out the canon of Scripture. So these three men, Peter, James, and John, will become very important in the work of the Lord. I have a thought here. I don't know if it's a biblical principle or not necessarily, but when the Lord wants to use somebody in a great way, it seems that they need a manifestation of the glory of the Lord. So, back to Jesus. He was transfigured there, and he was visited by Moses and Elijah. Notice that the text 
says, and I lost my place here in uh, Mark. Mark says that it just simply says he was transfigured before them. Uh, I don't want to take the time this morning or this evening to go to Matthew 17 and Luke 9 where you see the other uh, rendition of that, but I think one of those, I think it's Luke. Uh, Luke that says the fashion of his countenance was altered. And so I think that this transfiguration is a reminder that God wants to alter us. So Jesus was transfigured as a picture that he was going to be the changer, is that a word? The alterer, is that a word? (laughs) Of people. Convert them. Change them from sinners to saints. Notice the difference here. In Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 17.2, it says, His face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. So, Matthew uses the analogy of the light. The raiment shined as the light. Think about the opposite, the difference between light and what? Darkness. Okay. Jesus came to give them light. All right. So the transfiguration, I think, is a sort of a subtle reminder that Jesus is indeed the light of the world. What is interesting in the future is in Revelation uh, 21, actually I guess it's in two places, Revelation 21, 23, and 22, 5, it tells us that there is no need of the sun because Jesus is there. The brilliance of Christ is there. So his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. Here in Mark 9 and verse 3, it says his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. The fuller is the uh, old name for the soap man. (laughs) Uh, When I was a boy, they used to have fellas come around the house, the fuller brush man. They sold brushes, but they also sold soaps. A fuller was a soap maker. There's a reference in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets, about the fuller. And the uh, reference to the fuller's field, the place where the would make the soap and or wash things. So the soap, and here he mentions that it is to be exceeding white as snow as no fuller on earth can white them. I think that goes beyond tide and cheer and whatever else they sell these days. God can make the sinner cleaner than that. So clean versus dirty. Light versus darkness clean versus dirty. And then in Luke's Gospel, Luke 9.29, he says it this way, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistening. Luke uses the word glistening. Matthew and Mark use the word shine. To glisten or to shine versus dull. Several years ago, we had a new bath fitters that we had put in, and they told us how to clean that new bathtub and shower. And we take the time to clean that periodically, 
And I think it looks about as new as it did when we had it put in several years ago. I've been to other people's houses where they don't clean it as often as we do, and it gets dull. And so, glistening. This is a whiteness that is shining and glistening. Spiritually speaking, you don't want your life to be dull. You want it to be shining. You want it to be glistening or gleaming with the glory of the Lord. And so, I don't know what the disciples did here at the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark doesn't say anything about this, that they shied away from this or had to shield their eyes or anything like that. Let me take you to John's Gospel, John 17 and verse number 5, when the Lord was praying in his high priestly prayer. He was talking about what it was like in heaven, in heaven's glory before he came to the earth, before the incarnation. John 17 and verse number 5. Jesus is praying and he says, And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Okay, so it's the glory of the Lord that Jesus had with the Father. So the glory of the Lord is a divine glory. I thought about that and what Peter says in Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, he doesn't necessarily refer to the glory of the Lord, but he says, Second Peter chapter 1 verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. What I want to talk about tonight is you and I becoming partakers of divine glory. And as these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and were able to see the glory of the Lord, divine glory, and it's, it would be the glory that Jesus said in John 17.5 that I had with you before. So it's a heavenly glory. Okay, there's a difference between the earthly glory and the heavenly glory. And then let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. In fact, let's read this section here because Peter is referencing, Peter who of course was one of these apostles that went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, is referring to it here in this passage of Scripture. Let's begin reading at verse 15, 2 Peter 1.15. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says, I was, and Peter, James and John, were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is a majestic glory. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So Peter's making mention of this, and it is a majestic glory. We will be surprised, I think, when we finally see the glory of the Lord. Yet, it's divine, it's heavenly, it's majestic, yet it is a partial glory. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. You remember the story back there in Exodus 33? Moses asked for an appearance of God's glory. He said, show me thy glory. And God said, all right, I will show you a part of my glory. I'll 
pass by you. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will pass by. I will show you my hinder parts, but not my front parts. In other words, not the entire glory of the Lord. You also remember when Moses went up onto the mountain to receive the commandments, he was in the presence of the Lord, and he came down off of that mountain, and his face shone, so much so that he had to put a veil over his face, because the people could not behold the glory of the Lord. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 14, we read that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. That's the phrase I'm looking for. That which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. So it's a partial revelation of the glory of the Lord. Even here in Luke, uh, or in Mark, or Luke, or Matthew, whichever one you're looking at, at the transfiguration of Christ, it is divine, it is heavenly, it's majestic, yet partial. Otherwise, the disciples would not be able to behold it or comprehend it. We have a lot to look forward to when we get to heaven, when we see the glory of the Lord. However, I think we can see bits and pieces of the glory of the Lord today. So, first of all, the transfiguration was to strengthen Christ and to prepare him for the cross. I should mention, too, about Moses and Elijah. Let me find the reference here. It is Luke 9.31. Let's look at that one. What they were talking about. Mark doesn't tell us what they were talking about, but Luke does. Luke 9.31. So this was part of the strengthening of the glory of the Lord to Jesus. The two men were listed in verse 30, Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory, verse 31, Luke 9, and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. So they're talking about this coming down. Preparing him for that. Strengthen him in it and encouraging him with it, I'm sure. That is the reason, first reason, to strengthen the Lord Jesus Christ. The second reason for the transfiguration was to help the disciples. To help the disciples. They needed strength as well. I don't know if it was happening yet, but it will happen that their faith will be shattered. Jesus prophesying, preaching about this glorious time. And then, of course, later on he, he's crucified and they thought he was gone and their faith is shattered. Well, Peter is going to use this, as we read there in Second Peter, to tell us about trusting in the finished work of the Lord. And so their shattered faith needed to be strengthen. And then they also needed to have a taste of the glory of the Lord. What the glory of the Lord does, as we saw with Moses back in Exodus, it gives peace, it gives security, it gives fulfillment, it gives perfection. And all those things are a source of encouragement to us. The glory of the Lord being manifested amongst us, I think that's what basically Moses was looking for. Let me get some peace. Let me get some security and help and hope here to know that what I'm doing, I'm supposed to be doing. And so God showed him his glory. Well, Peter needed that. And so Peter says in our text, he liked it so well, he said, let's just stay here. (laughs) 
let's just build three tabernacles. They're probably little lean-tos or something like that, something with like they did in the, uh, the Old Testament Feast of Tabernacles. They made little tabernacles or little huts with branches covering them, shelters. And Peter offered to build them booths, as they're called there in the book of Leviticus. Prophetically, this could picture the coming millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe Moses and Elijah will be amongst those who are in Israel who will be in leading governmental positions during the millennial reign. I believe during that time we as church saints will be ruling and reigning with him, but some of the Old Testament saints like Moses, Elijah, Daniel, David, perhaps others will be ruling over the nation of Israel. So it's, it's somewhat of a picture of the coming millennium and the deliverance that the Lord will give to the nation of Israel following the Great Tribulation. And so, something to look forward to, some hope. And the the disciples would need that. We can look back on all of this and put this together and have hope in those things as well. So, they needed their shattered faith strengthened. They needed to uh, get a taste of glory. And then they also needed to have some fear placed into them. Back in our text, Mark chapter 9 and verse number 5, Peter answered and said, Master, it is good for us to be here. We we like this. This is good for us. It's beneficial. Let us make thee three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. They were afraid. Now, they're probably fearful in the physical sense, but we ought to be fearful of the glory of the Lord in a spiritual sense and have what the Bible refers to as the fear of the Lord. I think sometimes we might be afraid of the glory of the Lord because it will put the fear of the Lord in us. And sometimes in our rebellious nature, we don't want the fear of the Lord, but we need it. The disciples needed it. And so I think that these three men were taken up to the mountain by the Lord Jesus to gain that fear of the Lord. Notice also in verse number 7 that there was a cloud that overshadowed them and a voice. The cloud would not be a foggy cloud or something like that. This would be the cloud, we call it, the word isn't found in our Bibles, but based on a Hebrew word, Shekinah. It's the glory cloud that was uh, traveling with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. The, how does it call it? The pillar fire by night, wasn't it? And what's it called in the day? Just the cloud. And that was a demonstration of the presence of the Lord. That cloud, not only the transfiguration of Christ, right, but the cloud manifesting the presence of God, and then also the voice coming out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. That voice several times at his baptism, here at his transfiguration and uh, message uh, to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the divine Son of God. These disciples needed to strengthen their shattered faith. They had a need to, uh, to taste of the glory of the Lord, and they needed a, a striking of uh, awesome fear into their minds and their souls and their bodies. Well, you and I need that as well. What these disciples are doing, now they're not alone by themselves, okay? It's Peter, James, and John, but they're with the Lord. So the inference is that we need to get alone with the Lord to have his strength renewed in us. Now, there's something else I think that's happening here. The three reasons why the transfiguration 
happened. One, to strengthen Christ. Two, to help the disciples. Three, to reveal Christ. To reveal Christ. Back to our text in Mark chapter 9 and verse 8. It says, And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. I like that last phrase. You know, Peter thought, wow, this is really great. Let's build three tabernacles. One for the Lord, one for Moses, one for Elijah. This is great being with Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Next thing he knows, this cloud appears. There's a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. Not this is my great prophet or this is my great lawgiver, but my beloved son. And then suddenly, Moses and Elijah were gone. Who's left? All you need is Jesus, folks. That's all. Jesus only. Save Jesus only with themselves. you got Jesus, you got everything you need. That's wonderful. And so that's what they needed to learn. This transfiguration of Christ was, the, part of the purpose was to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Dr. Lee Hennies, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached at church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again. <laughs>